Welcome children to Ghost Men Horror Host Podcast UK The Tomb by H.P. Lovecraft in relating to the circumstances which have led to my confinement within this refuge for the demented. I am aware that my present position will create an actual doubt of the authenticity of my narrative. It is an unfortunate fact that the bulk of humanity is too limited in its mental vision to away with patience and intelligence those isolated phenomena seen and felt only by psychological sensitive few which lay outside its common experience. Men of broader intellect know that there is no sharp, distinct and frantics and real and unreal. But all things appear as they only by virtue of delicate individual physical and mental media through which we are more we conscious of them. But the prosthetic militarism of the majority condemns as madness and flashes of supersight when penetrate the common veil of the obvious empirism. My name is Genovese Dudley, and from early childhood I have been a dreamer and a visionary, wealthy beyond the necessaries of a commercial life, and totally unfitted for formal studies and social recreation of my acquaintances. I have dwelt ever in dwell realms apart from the visible world, spending my youth and adolescence in ancient and little-known books, in roaming the fields and groves of the region near my astral home. I do not think that I will read these books or saw in the fields and groves was exactly what other boys read or saw there, but for this I must say little, since this detailed speech would but confine those cruel Standards upon my intellect, which I sometimes overheard with whispers of stealthy attendants around me, it's a significant for me to relate events without causing, uh, without analyzing causes. I have said that I dwelt upon the visible world, but I have not said what I dwelt about. No, there's this is no human creature may do, for lacking the fellowship of the living is only drawn towards the oath for companionship of things that are not, or no longer, living. Close to my home there lies a single wood hollow. In those twilight deeps, I spent most of my time reading, thinking and dreaming. Down its moss-covered slopes to my first steps of infantry were taken. Around its grotesquely gnarled oak trees, my first fancies of boyhood were woven. Well, did I come to know the pressing dreads of those trees. Often when I watched it, while dancing dances in the struggling beams of wannabe moon, but of these things I must not speak. I will tell you of the lone tomb in the darkness of the hillside thickets, the deserted tomb of the Hydes, an old and exalted family who, who, whose last direct descendant had been laid within its dark recesses many decades before my birth. A vault which I refer is an ancient granite, weathered and discoloured by the mist and dampness of generations, excavated back into the hillside. The structure is visible only at the entrance. The door is a ponderous and foreboding slab of stone, hanging upon rusted iron hinges, 
and it's fastened ajar in a queerly sinister way by means of heavy iron chains and padlocks according to a gruesome fashion of a hundred half a century ago the abode of the race which the salons are unturned and once crowned the supremacy which holds the tomb but long since fallen victim to flames which sprung up from a stroke of lightning of the midnight storm which destroyed this misty mansion the old inhabitants of the region sometimes spark in hush and uneasy voices alluding to what they call divine wolf in a manner that is in later years vulgarly increased and always strong the always strong fascination which i felt for the forest darkens spulusia one man only had to perish in the fire when the last of the haze was buried in this place of shade and stillness, a sad use of the sad earnful of ashes had come to from a distant land to which the family had repaired. When the mansion burnt down, no one remains. No one remains of the laid flowers before the granite portal. Very few to brave the depressing shadows which seemed to linger strange around the water-worn stones. I shall never have forgotten the afternoon when I first stumbled upon the half-hidden house of death. It was midsummer, when the alchemy of nature transmutes from the civilian landscape to one vivid and almost homogeneous mass of green, when the seances are well high in intoxicated surging seas of moist virtue and mostly superbly indefinite odours of the soil and vegetation in such surroundings the mind loses its perspective time and space become trivial and unreal echoes of forgotten periodic past beat incessantly upon the infrued consciousness all day i have been wandering through the mystic groves of the hollow thinking thoughts i have been i have been i did need not discuss and conversing with things I need not name. In years, a child of ten, I have seen and heard many wonders unknown to, to the throng. As oddly aged in certain aspects, for upon forcing my way upon two savage clumps of bears, I suddenly encountered the entrance of the whole vault. I had no knowledge of what I discovered. The dark bolt, the dark blocks of granite, the door so closely ajar, a funeral carving above the arch aroused me. No associations of mournful or terrible character, of graves and tombs I knew, I imagined much, but had an account of my peculiar temperament been kept from all personal contact from churchyards and cemeteries. The strange stone house on the woodland slope was to me only a source of interest and speculation. Its cold, dark interior, into which I vainly peered through the picture, so tenaciously left contained for me no hint of death or decay, but in the instant of curiosity was born a madly uncontrolled desire which brought me to this hell of confinement, spurned by a voice which must have come from the hideous soul of the forest. I reasoned, I resolved to enter the beckoning gloom in spite of the ponderous chains which barred my passage. In the warning, waning light of the day, I only Terribly rattled the rusty implements with a view of throwing wide the stone door and essayed to sneeze my squeeze my slight from through the spaces readily provided 
but neither plan went met with success. At first, I was curious, I was now frantic, and when in fickling twilight I returned to my home, I had sworn to the hundred guards of the grove that at any cost I would some day force an entrance to the back. Chilly depths that seemed calling out to me the position which the iron grey grey beard which comes every day to my room once told a visionary visitor and to sit and mark the beginning of a pitiful melomania but I have still le- I will leave final judgment to my readers when they, sh- they shall have learnt all a month's following following my discovery was spent in futile attempts to force a complicated padlock to the slightly open bolt. In carefully guarded inquiries regarding the nature of the history of the stove structure, with traditionally reception ears of small boy, I learned more through an inhabitable secretness calls to me to tell no one of my information or my resolve. Perhaps worth mentioning is I am not at all surprised or terrified of learning of the nature of the bolt. My rather ordinary ideas regarding life and death have caused me to associate the cold clay with the breathing body in a vague fashion. I have felt that the great and sinister family of the burnt-down mansion was in some way represented within the stone base I sought to explore. Mumba tells of the weird rites and godless revels of bygone years in the temple hall gave me a new and potent interest in the tomb. Before the door, I would sit for hours at a time each day. Once I thrust a candle within the nearly closed entrance, could not see nothing, gain a flight of down, uh, see nothing, save a flight of down, stone steps leading downward. The odour of the building repelled yet bewitched me. I felt if I had known it before, in a past remote, beyond recollection, beyond even my tendency for the body I now possess. You after I first beheld the tomb, I stumbled upon a worm-eaten translation of the Putra's lives of, in Bookfield Antic of my home. Reading Life of Phaesus, I was much impressed by the package, Precious telling me that a great stone beneath which the boy's hero was found, found his tokens of destiny, whenever he should become old enough to keep it enormous weight. The legend had the effect of dispelling my keenest impatience to enter the vault, for it made me feel that time was not ripe. Later, I told myself I would should fasten, should grow to strengthening strengthening, Ingenuously, which might enable me to unfasten the heavy chain door with ease. Until then, I w- would do later better by confronting, conforming to what seemed like the will of fate. According to my watches in the dark, dark patrol, portal came less persistent. Much to my much of my time was spent in another way, equally strange pursuits. I would sometimes rise. Very quietly in the night, stealing out for a walk in those churchyards and places of burial from where I had been kept all my, by my parents. What, what I did there I might not say, 
for I am not sure of the reality of certain things. But now I know that the day such as an eternal ramble, I often astonish those about me with my knowledge of topics almost forgotten by for many generations. It was quite but after a night like this that I shot the community with a queer concept about the burial of the rich and celebrated Squire Brewster, a maker of local history who was interred in seventeen eleven and whose state state headstone burying a graven skull and crossbones was slightly crumbling to powder. In Mona Childish imagination, I vowed out that only the undertaker, Goodman Simpson, will st- had stolen a stone buckle, silver buckle shoes, silken hose, and satin sil- small cuts of the deceased before burial, but the squire himself not very inanimate. But after twice, had turned twice his mould covered coffin on a day after interment. The idea of entering the tomb never left my thoughts, being indeed stimulated by the unexpected geological discovery of my own maternal ancestry possessed at least a slight link with the supposedly extinct family of the Hydes. Thus, my parents' race, my parental race, I was likewise the last of this older and more mysterious line. I began to feel that the tomb was mine, to look forward with hot eagerness at the time when I might pass within that stone door and d- down those slimy stone step- steps into the dark. I now formed a habit of listening every very intently to the, at the slightest open portal. At the slightly open portal, choosing my favourite hours of midnight stillness for the old odd vigil. By the time I came to of age, I made a small clearing in the thicket before the mould-stained fancy of the hillside, allowing the surrounding vegetation to circle and overhang space like a wall of a civilian bowler. This bowler was my temple, fastened door, my shrine. And that where I would, where I would lie outstretched on the mossy ground, whenever strange faults and strange, dreaming strange dreams. The night of the first revelation was a sultry one. I might have been fallen asleep for fatigue, for it was not such a sense of awakening when I heard the, when I heard the voices, all these tones and accents. I hesitated to speak. Of the quality, I do not speak, but um, I may ask that they presented certain uncanny differences in the vocation. The night of the first revelation was a sultry one. I must have fallen asleep from fatigue, for it is a distant sense of wakening that I heard the voices. Of their tones and accents I hesitate to speak, of their quality I do not speak, but I must say they are present certain uncanny differences in vocabulary, pronunciation, and mode of utterance. Every shade of New York, England dialect, from the uncouth severity symbols of the Puritan colonists to the precise rhetoric of fifty years ago, seemed represented in this shadowy colloquy. 
though it was only later that I noticed the fact. At the time, indeed, my attention was distracted from this being matter-of-fact phenomenon, phenomenon so fleeting I sh- could take, not take an oath upon its reality. I barely fancied what that as I woke. I like to have been wholly extinguished within the sunken structure. I do not think it was an, an either standard the neither astounded or panic-riven, but I am was greatly and permanently changed that night. Upon returning home, I spent much directness in a rotten chest in the attic, which I found the key from an Indeed, my attention was distracted from the matter. This another firm and so fleeting I could not take an oath upon its reality. I fancied, I barely fancied that as I woke at light for when hourly extinguished from the sunken structure. I did not take, I was neither astounded or panic-stricken. But now I, but now, but I know that I was greatly and permanently changed from that night. Upon me returning home, I went in much, with much directness into a rotting shed in the closet, in the chest in the attic, within a found of keys. Each day unlocked and eased the barrier, and no longer became a vein. In the soft glow of the late afternoon, that first entered the vault of the abandoned slope, a spell was upon me. My heart leapt, and with its exhaustion, I put ill, I could put ill describe, as I closed the door behind me and descended the dripping steps. Of my light, in my, by my, of my lone candle, I seemed to know the way, though the candle spluttered in the rift, stifling reek of the place. I felt singly at home, the in most channel. Channel house air looking about me. I heard many marble slabs bearing coffins or the remains of coffins. Some of these were sealed and intact, but others had nearly vanished, leaving the silver handles and plates isolated amidst certain heaps of whitish dust. Upon one plate, I read the name Sir Geoffrey Hyde, who had come from Sussex in 1640 and died after there a few days later. In a capricious alcove was one fairly well lit and unentertained but a casket, a door with a single name which brought me both a smile and a shudder. An odd impulse caused an odd impulse caused me to climb down upon the old slab, seems my cancel and lie down within the vacant box. In the grey light of dawn, I staggered back from the vault and locked the chain of the door behind me. It was no longer a young man, though I'm, I'm but twenty-three years old. Winters, twenty-one winters that chilled my bodily frame. Early rising village villagers had observed my homeward progress, Look, looked at me strangely and marvelled at signs of rapid gravity. They saw 
and one whose life had known to be sober and solitary. I do not appear I did not appear before my parents till after a long and refreshing sleep. However, the ha- I haunted the tome each night, seeing, hearing, and doing things I must never recall. My speech always susceptible to the environment and influences. First time to come to the change in my my suddenly required actualism, my dictation was soon remarked upon. Later, sheer queer boldness and recklessness came to my doing. Till I unconsciously grew to possess the marking bearing of a man of the world, despite my long, long, long life, long lifelong seclusion. My formerly silent tongue waxed vulnerable if easy grace of the Chesterfield or the godless criticism of the Rochester. I displayed a particular delusion at the manifestation of monkish law over what I had poured into use and covered the fly leaves of my books with factual improper epigrams, which brought my suggestions of of grey Pyan, despite his straight Oscarian wits and roosters. One morning at breakfast, I came close to the disaster by claiming in probably liquidious sense an, an effusion of 18th century bankacling myth, mirth, a bit of Georgian playfulness being. Never, never recorded a book which ran something like this. Come hither, my lads, with your tankard of ale. Drink of the present before it shall fail. Pile each other patter, a mountain of beef. For it is eating and drinking brings us relief. So fill up your glass, for life will soon pass. Then you will die when we never drink. From here, my lads, your tankards of ale. A drink of present before the it shall fail. Party shall pepper a fountain of beef. For it is eating and drinking that bring us relief. To fill up your glass for life will soon pass. When you're dead you'll never drink to your king or your lass. I can't have a red nose, so they say. But what's a red nose when you be happy and gay? God spit me. I'd rather be red, but I am here. My mom is lady and death was a year. So, Betty, my mice, give me a kiss. And I'll be there. <coughs> Hell, there's no innkeeper daughter like this. Young Harry, probably not just as straight as he or he will soon lose his wig and slip under the table. We'll fill your goblets and pass them around, back to the table and under the ground. So revel and trap be on the first day with craft, under six feet of dust, there's less, 
easy to laugh. The fiends dropped me blue and scared of able to walk. And damn me if I can stand straight or right upright or talk. Here on a bit Betty to summon a chair. I try home for a while, for my wife is not there. So end up so end me up me hand so end me hand but I'm not able to stand. But I'm gay where I linger on top of the land. About this time I conceived my present fear of a fire and thunderstorms. Previously indifferent to such things I had now an unspeakable horror of them. We revived at the innermost recesses of the house whenever the heavens threatened to electrical display. A favourite haunt of mine during the day was a ruined cellar of the man I mentioned that burned down in the fancy. I would picture the structure as it had been in its prime. On one occasion I startled a villager by leaning confidentially to a shadow subculture cellar, for which existence I seemed to have known in spite of the fact it had been unseen and forgotten for many years, century. At last I came to that which I had long feared, my parents alarmed at the ultimate manner and appearance of their only son con- commenced to extend over, over my, mo- my movements of kindly espionage that threatened the result in disaster. I had no one of my... If I had told no one of my visits to the tomb, having guarded my secret purpose with religious view, such childhood, but now I'm forced to exercise care in threading through the mazes of the wooden hallow, that I found threw off a, a, a powerful pursuer, my neck to the vault, I, I, I kept suspension for a call around, from around my neck, its presence known only to me. I never carried out the spiritual or any, any of these things. I came upon them whilst in the, in the walls. One morning I emerged into the damp from a dark, damp tomb and fastened the chain of the portal that with none too steady hand. I beheld an adjacent thicket in the dreaded face of a watcher. Slowly the end was near. My bowler was discovered. The object of my nocturnal visits, journeys revealed, the man did not accost me. I threatened, I hastened home in an effort to overhear what he might report to my woven father. Were my signatures beyond the chain door can be proclaimed to the world? Imagine my to my delight, astonishment of hearing the spy inform my parents in a cautious temper, whisper that I must spend the night in the bowler outside the tomb. That I spent the night in the bowler outside the tomb. My steep field eyes fixed from the crevice where the padlock portal stood ajar. But that miracle had the watch have been had been thus deluded. It is now, I was now convinced that a supernatural agency protected me, made bold of this heaven-sent circumstances. I began to resume perfect op- openness in going going to the vault, confident that no one would witness my entrance. For a week I tasted to the full joys of that tra- con- con- 
Trinala convivity where I could not describe. When the time, when the thing happened, I was born. Right away to this excused abode of mounting and money. And monotony. I should have ventured out, I should not have ventured out for the night. The taunt of the thunder in the clouds, the hellish phosphorus rose from the dank of swamp to the bottom of the shit hollow. The call of the dead, too, was different. Indeed, instead of the hillside tomb, it was charred with cellar of the crest of the stoop, whose pressing demon beckoned for me with unseen eye fingers as they emerged from an interweaving grove upon the heart plain above the ruin. I began beheld the misty moonlight, a thing I always vaguely expected, the mansion gone for a century, once more reared its stately height to the raptured vision, every window ablaze to the spender of many candles. Up to the long, long dry rolled the coaches of the Boston Gentry, which, whilst no foot came, the numerous assembled of powdered Esquires from the neighbourhood mansions, from with this from this from I'm minding, thing with this this from I'm mingled. Although I knew I belonged with the host rather than the guests, inside inside the hall was music, laughter, and wine of every hand. Several faces I recognised, though I should have known them better, when they shivered, shivered, or eaten away by the death and discomfort. The comparison among the wild and reckless throng, I was the wildest and most abandoned. Gay blasphemy poured in threats from my lips, and the, and and in shocking sallies, I heard no, no law of oh, no law of God or nature. Oh. Suddenly, a peal of thunder resolute. Even before the dinner, the Swedish reverie caved the very roof and laid a hush of fear upon the British company. Red tongues of flame and searing gusts of heat engulfed the house, and the roast, roasters struck with terror to the extent of calamity which seemed to transcend the bounds of unguided nature. Fled shrieking into the night, I alone remained riveted to my seat of a growing fear for which I had never left before. And at the second horror, as the second horror took possession of my soul, burnt alive to ashes, my body dispersed into four winds. I never lay in the tomb of Hades. Was not my coffin prepared for me? Had I not a right to rest till eternity amongst the descendants of Sir Geoffrey Hyde, I, I would have given my heritage of birth, even though my soul is a... Suddenly, a pair of thunder, resolute, the bathing above the din of the Swedish reverie, 
declared the red roof laid a hush upon the boisterous company. Red tongues of flame and searing gusts of heat engulfed the house, and the oysters struck with terror this state of calamity which seemed to transcend the bounds of unguided nature. Fled shriekingly into the night, I alone remained, riveted to my seat by a grovelling fear which I had never felt before. And in the second horror took possession of my soul, burnt alive to ashes, my tomb dispersed, my body dispersed by the four winds. I may never lie in the tomb of the hides. Was not my coffin prepared for me? Had I not had my had not a right to rest until eternity amongst the descendants of Trophy Hyde? I I would claim my heritage of death, even though my soul goes seeking through the ages for another world to to represent him. On that vacant slab of the alcove of the vault, Jarvis Hyde could never share the same fate as Polinus. As the visit, as the photo of the burning house faded, I found myself screaming and struggling randomly in the arms of two men, one of them who was a spy who followed me to the tomb. Rain was pouring down in the torrents and upon the self of Horizon were flashes of lightning that were so lately passed over my head. My father, his face lined with sorrow, stood as I shouted my demand to be laid within the tomb, for, for quickly abolishing my captors to treat me as gently as they could. A blackened circle on the floor of the ruined cellar told me of a violent stroke from the heavens and from this that this bottle land of curious villages which license were firing a small box of neat workmanship which the thunderbolt had brought, brought to life. Seizing my fertile and now objectless as wyvering, I watched the, the spectators as they Viewed the treasure trove I was permitted to share within the discoveries, a box with things were broken to us by the stroke which had unearthed it, containing many papers and objects of value. I had eyes on one thing alone. It was the porcelain miniature of a young man in a smartly curled bag wig and bore the initials J.H. The face was such as I gazed. I may never have been, I might as well have been studying my mirror. On the following day, I brought to this to this room with the barred windows. I had been kept informed of certain things of an aged and simple-minded servitor, for whom I bore a fondness in the embassy, who, like me, loves a churchyard. I had dared relate to my experience if the vault was brought only pitying smiles. My father, who visits me frequently, declares that there's no time that I passed a chain pearl to and swears that the rusted padlock had not been touched for fifty years before his opening. He always says that all the village should know of my journey to the tomb. I was often watched as I slept as the boy outside the groom fettered my half open
on the following day I brought it to this room with dark windows, but I kept informed of certain things for my aged and simple-minded servitor, who for whom I bore fondness in infancy, and, like, and who, like me, loves the churchyard. I dared relate of my experiences within the vault has brought me pretty smiles. My father visits me frequently he cares and at no time had I passed the train portal and swears the rusty padlock had not been touched for fifty years when I examined it. He says that all the village kept my journeys to the tomb. Knew my journeys to the tomb. I was often watched as I slept at the bower outside the green facade, my half open eyes fixed in a crevice that leads to the to the stair. Almost there, almost against their assumptions, I had no tangible proof to offer. Since my key to the padlock was lost in a struggle as a night of horrors, the strange things of the past that I've learned, I've learned during these nocturnal meetings with the dead, we dismissed as the fruits of my lifelong of onerous broiling, again amongst the ancient volumes of the family di- family library. Had it been from my old old sergeant Heron, I would have. I should have by this time become quite convinced of my madness. But heaven loyal to the last, has held faith in me, has done, which which impels me to make public at least part of my story. Week ago he burst open the lock, which. And now to last, he held me faith in me, he was done, which appeals me to tell you publicly at least the last part of my story. A week before he burst open a lock, which changed to the door of the tomb, perfectly particularly ajar, and descended with a lantern into the murky depths. On a stab in an oak cove, he found an old empty coffin, whose tarnished plate bears the single word, Jesus, in the coffin in the vault. They promised me I shall be buried.